Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I'm so excited that you're here. The Plan B CRNA podcast is the only show made specifically for nurse anesthetists who are exploring options outside of their traditional career paths. This is the place to expand your mind and your goals as we uncover new ways to produce side income together. Journey with me as I go down various rabbit holes to explore the best Plan B options for you. This episode is brought to you by OnCall Capital. OnCall Capital is dedicated to educating CRNAs and other healthcare providers about investing outside of the traditional stock market. OnCall Capital also provides opportunities for you, yes, you, to create passive income and generational wealth while also lowering your taxable income through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do that right now so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. And now on with the show. Welcome to the rabbit hole on the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones. And throughout my journey in finding a Plan B, I've gone down numerous rabbit holes to figure out which ones work for me. And since I've done some of this research already, I only think it's right to bring that information to fellow healthcare professionals to help aid in your search. As always, it's important for you, the listener, to do your own research and form your own opinions. Everyone's situation is unique, and a Plan B that works for one CRNA doesn't always work for another. Self-awareness is the key in any decision you make, since you must have an accurate grasp of your own strengths, weaknesses, and goals. And today's topic is one that has intrigued me for quite some time now, partly because of my perceived difficulty in learning more about it. Our rabbit hole of the day is, dun, 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 industrial real estate. For those of you who listen to this show, you'll remember that I did a rabbit hole episode back in June on e-commerce. Well, since then, I've been getting into it a bit myself, and don't worry, I'll do a rabbit hole on that one as well. Uh, once I'm a little further along, but it did get me thinking, where is all the stuff that we order online being held? I mean, it can't be too far away if I can order something and it arrives the same day or a day later, right? Well, as it turns out, uh, many of these items are held in warehouses across the U.S. So what does that mean exactly? Well, if e-commerce is growing at a double-digit clip, then the demand for warehouse space is likely growing pretty quickly as well. Of course, warehouses are just one type of industrial real estate, which is a broad term that typically describes properties where goods are made, stored, and or shipped. Since zoning ordinances for industrial properties can differ from place to place, it can really be a different animal when compared to other types of commercial real estate, such as office or retail sectors. So I decided to dive right in. And let's just say that it was a little bit challenging to find certain pieces of market data. I couldn't find any information about the overall market size for industrial real estate or institutional investments versus mom and pop ownership. With that being said, though, here are some of the things that I did learn. Industrial real estate vacancy rates are only 3.3% in quarter three of 2022, marking seven consecutive quarters of declining vacancy. This remains historically low, driving rents to a 25% year-over-year increase. More than 70% of U.S. industrial space was built before the 21st century, and a full third of inventory is over 50 years old. Quarter three of 2022 saw record amounts of groundbreaking, with over 633.8 million square feet currently under construction. But that doesn't quite meet the projected demand, which will increase by 850 million square feet in 2023. 
Warehousing and storage employment grew by nearly 60% annually, and the industry is still struggling with labor shortages. For every $1 billion of growth in the e-commerce sector, there's a demand for an additional 1.2 million square feet of warehouse space. The warehouse automation market is also expected to grow one and a half times by 2025 to $37.6 billion. There are currently over 650,000 factories in the U.S., and third-party logistics account for roughly 35% of all industrial leases. The U.S. is now the number one global location for Bitcoin mining, driving increased demand for industrial space and land. Now, that's a lot of statistics to just throw your way. Suffice it to say that industrial space is in high demand and will remain so for the foreseeable future. As mentioned earlier, though, there are several types of industrial real estate that fall into three broad categories. Let's go over them, shall we? Number one, manufacturing buildings. Simply put, these are facilities where goods are produced and assembled. This is defined as being less than 20% office space with loading docks for trucks and clear heights of at least 10 feet. There are two main types of manufacturing buildings. Heavy manufacturing buildings, which usually contain heavy-duty, customized equipment, three-phase electricity, and lots of loading dock space. This is where your heavy-duty goods like cars, planes, or outdoor equipment are created. And these buildings will have specific needs depending on the company that's using it. And that often means top-to-bottom renovation if the tenant changes. Next is the light assembly building, where less massive manufacturing takes place. Uh, They are typically smaller and easier to reconfigure when tenants change because the equipment that's actually in use is more portable and the parts being assembled are smaller. Think of an electronics company that's assembling circuit boards or something similar to that. Now, number two, storage and distribution buildings. No surprises here. This is where products are stored and shipped to the end user. These are mostly one-story buildings with high ceilings, multiple loading docks, and concrete truck courts. Like manufacturing buildings, they have less than 20% office space, typically by square footage. And there are three main types of storage and distribution buildings. General warehouses are where manufactured goods are stored. These are stored for longer periods of time, meaning that location isn't a huge factor. Products aren't moved in and out as often, so variations in space and pricing are a result of how the warehouses are equipped. An example would be a cold storage facility that is equipped with freezers and requires seals on the docks and insulated overhead doors to keep products cold. Next is distribution warehouses, which are primarily used to ship goods, meaning that their location becomes more important. They're often close to airports and other transportation lines. National companies, think Walmart and Amazon here, often locate in the middle of the country so that they're equidistant to buyers, and that way they can fulfill orders more quickly. And lastly, truck terminals have the least amount of actual storage space of the three because they are primarily intermediate sites where goods are moved from one truck to another. They're focused primarily on convenient features for distribution since they are devoted to transportation. And then finally, uh, our final category of those broad categories is the flex space building. This category includes everything else in between the other two that we talked about. These properties are designed to serve multiple purposes and are customized to tenant needs. Office space can occupy more than 30% of these buildings, and they tend to have more parking, which is a good fit for startups looking to save on office rent. There are three main types of flex space buildings. First is research and development buildings, which are specialized spaces where tenants can create and test new products or improve existing ones. 
They may have clean rooms, light manufacturing space, or open square footage. Products stored here are for testing purposes only. And a lot of these R&D spaces are converted to campus-like business parks with shared architecture design and well-landscaped open spaces. Data centers are where a company keeps the equipment it uses to maintain network connectivity and store its data or that of its clients. They are often large spaces of around 100,000 square feet, and they often require specific wiring and cooling systems and reinforced floors to hold heavy equipment. They almost always include backup generators and extensive security systems are common. And lastly, showroom properties are a combination of offices, warehouses, and formal showrooms. Typically half the space is used for showcasing and selling products. And the most common type of building in this category is a car dealership actually, but you can also think of kitchen and bath showrooms too. And now that we've gone over the different types of industrial properties, it's time to figure out how we can invest in them. Per the usual, there are a few ways to get some exposure to industrial real estate in your portfolio. First, you can always buy your own industrial property. Industrial properties are commonly less expensive to own and operate than other types of commercial real estate. This means that investors can acquire and maintain larger assets with lower ongoing capital expenditures. And there are, of course, various ways to go about this and factors to consider. As with apartment buildings, industrial properties can be broken down into class A, B, and C with A being on the nicer end with less risk and higher price tags, and C being on the lower end of rental rates and requiring more time, money, and creativity. You can also buy industrial land, which is simply land that's zoned industrially, but without a permanent structure on the premises. You can use the property for parking equipment, storing gravel or mulch, or some other surface operation. With a piece of land, you also have the option to build to suit, where the landowner pays for the construction of a structure according to the tenant's specifications and then leases it to them. You don't have to worry about vacancy since you already have a tenant, and there is less speculation with the overall building components. Speaking of speculation, though, you may choose to build a spec building, such as a warehouse, but you'd better make sure that it is meeting a need in your particular market, or you could be left with a vacancy. When purchasing an industrial property, it's important to take a systematic approach. So here are a few tips. Define your investment criteria. What's your end goal? Do you want to upgrade and sell the property? Do you want to find a long-term tenant? Do you want to occupy the property yourself for your own business needs? Making your intentions clear to agents, vendors, and yourself can help facilitate a smooth investment process. Next, future-proof your investment. This is all about thinking ahead and imagining how your property will fit into the market for the long term. Strong transport links, uh, good infrastructure, future redevelopment opportunities, uh, entry and exit strategies, these are all important factors to consider. This includes understanding the businesses that are thriving in your particular market, as well as sensing shifts in industry needs. Oh yeah, and you'll want to also review those relevant zoning restrictions as well. Next. Find good opportunities. You can do this by keeping your finger on the pulse of activity in your area, whether that's through attending auctions, uh, viewing online listings, reading market research, or speaking with agents. Casting a wide net will maximize the number of opportunities that you come across that will actually fit your investment criteria. And finally, know your lease terms. Industrial tenants sign leases typically ranging from three to 10 years, but leases of 20 years or more aren't unheard of. These are significant amounts of time, and the terms of the lease will dictate 
what will happen over that time frame. Full service leases require that tenants pay a flat rent amount, which uh, you know, all the property maintenance and taxes are going to be pulled from that. In a net lease, the tenant pays base rent as well as a portion of property expenses based on the size of their space relative to the entire property. And then finally, in a triple net lease, it's like a net lease, but tenants pay a prorated share of all of the landlord's expenses based on the size of their space. Now, the next way to get into industrial real estate is to take a more passive approach. You can do this in one of two ways, by investing in industrial property funds or real estate investment trusts, more commonly known as REITs. Let's break each one of them down. There are crowdfunding sites that can give you access to these types of opportunities. Websites such as Yield Street, Equity Multiple, and CrowdStreet have specific opportunities to invest in and get equity ownership of individual industrial properties, meaning that you are a limited partner in the investment, giving you pass-through tax benefits such as bonus depreciation and cost segregation. They're typically illiquid investments for the five to seven year hold period. Now, this is the closest thing to owning the real estate yourself, just without the active management role. These are good options for investors who happen to have uh, between $5,000 to $25,000 or, or more to deploy. Next, uh, there are privately traded REITs that are found on sites like Fundrise and Diversifund, which may have some industrial exposure, but they aren't industrial property heavy, meaning that there's much more multifamily or other commercial property exposure within that REIT. And because these are REITs, you do not get those paths through tax benefits, and those returns are taxed as capital gains. Since these are privately held as well, they are generally illiquid for that five-year hold period. Now, you can invest for as little as 10 bucks on Fundrise or 500 bucks on Diversifund. And speaking of these crowdfunding sites, some like Realty Mogul and Cadre offer both individual property offerings and privately held REITs. Of course, the benefits differ by investment type, but are generally illiquid for that five to seven year hold period. The REITs are similar to those on other sites and having exposure to other types of commercial real estate. You can get started with Realty Mogul for $5,000 as a non-accredited investor. Cadre, on the other hand, requires accreditation and a $25,000 minimum. And lastly, we arrive at the publicly traded industrial REITs. Industrial REITs tend to generate steadier cash flow than other REITs with a focus on long-term triple net leases, making the sector relatively recession resistant with lower overhead. They're also relatively liquid, meaning you can trade in and out of them on your stock market brokerage platform. Of course, there are risks associated with floating rate debt and rising interest rates, as well as overall stock market risk. There are five REITs I'd like to highlight here. Uh, Prologis, which uh, has a ticker symbol of PLD, is the global leader in logistics real estate. This is a $117 billion REIT, so it, it's a pretty big one. And then uh, next is Americold Realty Trust, ticker symbol COLD, which is the only pure play REIT for cold storage. STAG Industrial, which is uh, ticker symbol STAG, which is a diversified industrial REIT. Innovative Industrial Properties, uh, ticker symbol IIPR, which is an industrial REIT focused on medical use cannabis real estate. And finally, PS Business Parks, ticker symbol PSB, which is an industrial REIT focused on, you guessed it, business parks. 
The minimum to invest is the minimum for any stock investment that's set by your brokerage, which shouldn't be very high at all. All right. Now we've made it through the different ways to invest in industrial real estate. So what are the pros and cons? We've already mentioned some of them throughout, but let's consolidate here a bit. First is a pro. Demand is on the rise. It's believed that the U.S. may need more than 1 billion square feet of additional warehouse space by 2025 to support e-commerce demand. That's a lot. Next is a con. Tenant risk. If a tenant runs into financial trouble and can't pay the rent, you still have to cover debt obligations if you're the owner. Pro. Longer rental terms. Leases are typically 3 to 10 years, with some as long as 25 years. Businesses are just not as likely to change locations as often as apartment residents, meaning that you have stable passive income for years. Con, long-term vacancy risk. It can be challenging to find a new tenant after a completed lease, particularly if the facility was built for a certain purpose. You may have to invest significant capital to make the property compatible with other tenants. Next is a pro, lower maintenance. Once you do have that tenant in place, industrial properties don't require as much upkeep upkeep as other commercial property types. And most most of these uh, leases are triple net, meaning that maintenance is the tenant's responsibility. Lower tenant turnover also means renovations are needed much less often. Con, oversupply risk. The anticipated future demand for warehouse space means that many investors are building only fulfillment centers. If too many of these are built and the market dips, it could significantly impact occupancy and rental rates. Next is a pro, variety. We touched on the multiple types of industrial real estate that are out there, but most industrial buildings tend to be leased plain and empty. This allows for any business to rent the building and set up their own processes and equipment. This flexibility is in huge contrast to residential real estate. Next is a con, less flipping. The long-term nature of industrial real estate may be a drawback for those who prefer to gain quick profits from flipping properties. Our last pro, investment stability. Industrial real estate tends to be more recession-proof than other property types, and they tend to hold value and even appreciate over time. And finally, our last con, less availability. Simply put, there are just fewer industrial buildings for sale than traditional homes. This means you may have to extend your search into other market areas to find the right property for you. Overall, industrial properties represent a fascinating niche within commercial real estate with a lot of strong tailwinds to benefit from. Like other forms of commercial real estate, there are multiple ways to get involved, depending on how creative or active you want to be. Finding information on this subject was tough, as it's not nearly as mainstream as other investment niches. I found a couple of books that have sections on industrial properties that you may find interesting. Uh, The first of those is Negotiating Commercial Real Estate Leases by Martin I. Zankel. This has specific negotiating strategies uh, in there for industrial leases. And then the next is How to Succeed in Commercial Real Estate by John L. Bowman, which covers everything from finding listings to sealing the deal with an overview of office, retail, and industrial properties. I also have a ton of links in the show notes for you to sift through at your leisure. So I hope you can make good use of them. And in the meantime, that's going to do it for the show. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening to the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you found value today, make sure you hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. 
This show only grows because of you. So make sure you share it with a friend, family member, or colleague to help them on their passive income journey. I also want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or rabbit hole topic that you'd like me to cover in an upcoming show, just put it in your review of the podcast. I check those all the time and cover those questions in future episodes. If you'd like to know more about me and gain access to passive investment opportunities, make sure you find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit my website at www.oncallinvestments.com. This is Bobby Jones signing off. Until next time, be safe and take care of each other out there. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you haven't already subscribed and reviewed the show, I'd be honored if you took the extra time. It really helps to expand our reach and get the word out about the show. If you're a CRNA who is interested in sharing your story on our podcast, I'd love to have you. Please email me at bobby at oncallinvestments.com for more information. This episode was brought to you by On Call Capital. They are dedicated to helping providers like you develop passive income and generational wealth through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. Feel free to check out their website at www.oncallinvestments.com and subscribe to their free educational email series. You can find On Call Capital on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube page, where you'll find all of the show episodes along with other educational videos. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.